I was kind of just in the middle of things. And so it was a good time to transition. I had a coworker that said, hey, you know, they're offering this new program, you should join. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Cause it, it was like, if I can't be a teacher, I want to do business, but the business has to be something I'm interested in. And the business of sport was something I was very much interested in. Cause even by, you know, I'm 18, 17, 19, even 20 years old, I'm already like my team, my team, my team, you know, different sports, different, you know, all the, all of the fandom that anyone can imagine. And so I was like, I don't care what I end up doing. I want to be involved in the business of sports. What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to episode number 121 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tomaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I sat down with Tim Lillis from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tim has lived in the Philly area for a handful of years now, but has lived in many places across the country thanks to his career in business sports management. He's worked in just about every level of baseball you can imagine, double-A, triple-A, summer collegiate ball, independent ball, and even for the Tampa Bay Rays of Major League Baseball. We got a chance to discuss the differences between all of the levels of baseball Tim has worked in, primarily from a business management perspective, which I found super interesting. Tim has some great insight on how the lower levels of baseball really do function like a small community-oriented business. We also get into some incredible trips Tim has taken, including the baseball-focused honeymoon his wife suggested they take. I had a great time chatting with Tim. I know you guys are really going to enjoy this episode, so let's get straight to it. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Tim Lillis. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List. How are things? Uh, Things are great. Uh... I was just saying that I'm looking forward to uh, the playoff stretch for my the, my team is the Tampa Bay Rays uh, for having worked for them uh, many years ago. And uh, so it's it's an exciting time to be a, a baseball fan. And even if I weren't a Rays fan, gosh, there's so much excitement going on and uh, getting ready for the postseason. It, I, I, I can't even keep up with half. I just happened to watch the end. It was like the MLB beginning and yeah. it was going around the different games that were going on last night and the. Uh, uh, they were talking about the NL wild card and how just a giant mess it is. And I'm like, A, cool for baseball. There's like six teams that are still trying to get in. And B, imagine what it would have been like before they expanded the wild card. It would have been just that little less entertaining for so many people. And I'm like, there you have it. Perfect example. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it was a good move. It's got me glued to the screen in a way I haven't been in quite some time. Um, outside yeah. of, of my own individual team. So I, I like right. what they're doing and uh, excited to see kind of what happens moving forward this year. But let's talk about your baseball story. Let's talk about me. Yeah, right? <laughs> so the first question I always ask, how is it that you fell in love with the game of baseball? I think that I fell in love with the game of baseball because my, not surprisingly, I'm sure you get this a lot, my parents were fans to some extent not nearly as much as i became but my earliest memories are going to games uh with my parents just as a form of inexpensive entertainment 30 years ago uh you know when it wasn't as bad to go to an mlb game with a family of four um i in fact as part of the bucket list i had uh, i started going back and really chronicling my fandom and trying to not just Say, oh, yeah, I remember going to a game vaguely, like trying to find out exact dates. Hmm. 
And I'm pretty sure I narrowed down that my first baseball game was uh, July 13th, 1993 versus uh, it was Detroit Tigers at uh, Tiger Stadium versus the Toronto Blue Jays the year, well, coming off of the World Series. And, uh, you know, it was just an inexpensive way on a weekend because I used, I grew up in Michigan on the West End of Michigan. So going to a Detroit game was a bit of an excursion. And especially with two young kids, I would have been like seven, eight years old. My sister just younger than me. And so get everybody in the car and go out, you know, to what was, you know, we didn't have a minor league team in our area. Back then, the minor leagues weren't even a concern. They weren't even something you went and did. They were for old guys to go watch, you know, prospects. And so it was just uh, something to do. But at the same time, it was like so wonderfully, you know, perfect at uh, at that time, how, how you know, charming baseball can be. And so it just happened that, you know, it was fun. We all had a good time. Let's go back next year. Let's. And then I being in the west side of Michigan, you're almost equidistant to Chicago. So then probably the most love I had for baseball early on, the 1997 Chicago Cubs started the year 0-14. And I wanted to see every day on WGN at two o'clock in the afternoon. I wanted to see if they could break the all-time record for least most losses to start a season, <laughs> which was 0-20 by the 1989 Baltimore Orioles. And they couldn't even do that. But I was hooked because it was Mark Grace. It was Sammy Sosa. It was uh, Ryan Sandberg was still there. And it was this, you know, they were terrible. They were a 70 win or less team. But it was Sosa in his prime. It was WGN, Harry Carey. Everybody. It was the most like I was 10. Like it was just great. And it was the every day. A lot of people say it. Oh, I grew up watching baseball every day because the Cubs were on every day. And you saw them when we came home from school. And I, I and then 98 happened. And I was in the middle of the, you know, the home run chase like everybody else. So. It goes all the way back to then. That really starts my love of baseball. I think WGN and TBS, you know, the Cubs and the Braves, they get a lot of credit for the kind of boom in either Cubs or Braves fans. But yeah, I don't know that they get enough credit for just instilling a love of baseball in kids in general, because I grew up right. the same way, right? Like watching the Cubs games, I thought it was so cool that you could turn them on and see this team that, as far as I was concerned as a little kid, was like a billion miles away. Sammy Sosa was like <laughs> my guy. I was living and dying by like what Sammy Sosa was doing each day. Um, right. Not not necessarily a Cubs fan, but just like that was how I got my start, you know, really on a day-to-day basis with baseball too. So that's really cool to hear. Seems to me like you've had your hands in a lot of different organizations in the baseball world, different levels, different responsibilities along the way. How did you get started kind of on the career side of baseball, you know, and what was that journey like for you? That's a great question. So when I was, um, you know, trying to pick the, you know, the career, doing the whole uh, high school into college, what am I going to do with my life? I always said I was going to be a teacher. And I actually went through, you know, education courses and did all that. And then it just didn't look good. Like it was looking, it was the recession. A lot of people were really down on uh, going into the teaching industry, the uh, education field. And I was starting to really feel the, I feel a lot of anxiety about it. Meanwhile, at the same time, 
the burgeoning field of sports management and sports administration and all of these different course, uh, you know, schools of uh, education were coming in. And my university, my alma mater, Grand Valley State University, was offering its first sports management degree program. Um, I was kind of just in the middle of things. And so it was a good time to transition. I had a coworker that said, hey, you know, they're offering this new program. You should join. And I was like, that sounds amazing because it, it was like, if I can't be a teacher, I want to do business, but the business has to be something I'm interested in. Mm. And the business of sport was something I was very much interested in because even by, you know, I'm 18, 17, 19, you know, 20 years old, I'm already like my team, my team, my team, you know, different sports, different, you know, all the, all of the fandom that anyone can imagine. And so I was like, I don't care what I end up doing. I want to be involved in the business of sports. So I got my ma uh, my uh, undergraduate degree in sports management. Uh, it required uh, a internship, and I did that with the uh, Iowa Cubs in Des Moines, Iowa, AAA. I just worked in their merchandise department. It was the worst internship I could possibly have booked for myself. I moved 550 miles from home for the first time in my not-that-adult life. I moved all the way away to work essentially a part-time job that I got my school credit for. God bless them. They did their part, but I was not working. Like I didn't get a lot of gain experience. I didn't, I, I should have looking back, taken any number of the offers I had from other places that may have given me a better opportunity to really like learn an organizational, you know, structure and, and a real role. I just kind of did my job, you know, four or five games a week. And then I actually got a second job just elsewhere in the community. Cause I just needed to kill time and make money. But, you know, it showed me AAA. It showed me the big bright lights of a 10,000-seat stadium, and it worked out. And uh, then I kind of uh, I had to go home. It was done. It was seasonal. Uh, worked a little bit for a while. Met a girl. And uh, the next job was in su uh, summer collegiate baseball. And that was uh, with the Battle Creek Bombers. Now they're the Battle Jacks mm -hmm. in what is called the Northwoods League, which is one of the biggest wood bat college leagues in uh, the country. Um, and they, I just happened to my, my girl at the time goes, Hey, I'm moving there. I go, oh, okay, I can move with you. Uh, I'll email the baseball team, email the baseball team. Hey, you got a job? Yeah. I can be the ticket manager. Boom. Done. And it was another, you know, that was much more of an experience of like, this is what a baseball, little baseball organization is all about. You know, I did everything you know, no staff, long hours, you know, it was very much that, that real grind of what uh, working in the baseball industry, especially in the minors is like. And it just kind of kept coming from there. After that, I took a, a while off and I, um, I just couldn't really get into, into any organizations. And I was kind of rooted where I was. And um, then uh, it became pretty obvious I needed to get a further education. So I got my sports administration master's degree online and uh, I got that in 2015 and they needed an internship. So it worked out that I was able to get in with the Tampa Bay Rays and I worked in their corporate sales and service department and got that for the 2015 season. And that was the complete opposite of everything I've seen so far. That was Major League Baseball at the highest level. Everyone does one job. Everyone has a team of 15 people to help them do that job. It, it really was a corporate environment in the best sense of the word. And if, they, if only there were other positions open when I was there, I would gladly stayed because I've become a fan. I, I loved everything I did. And then I got, again, go home, get a job. That took me to Southern Maryland and, and the Atlantic League. So now I'm in indie ball. 
completely different perspective. Now it's like paid players, but it's still small town. And it has none of the charm of minor league baseball because you don't have this organizational uh, fandom of, oh, we're cheering for our favorite organization. Mm -hmm. No, we're just cheering for random players. And so it really becomes more of an entertainment job. You're really selling what is an entertainment and an excuse to take your family out, not this is a sporting event we're all taking very seriously. Did that for five years. And if it weren't for COVID, I probably would have been there longer. And then uh, right after that, I was in Bowie with the Bay Sox and Double A. So now I'm back in affiliated ball. Double A is the highest, uh, you know, level of real responsibility I've probably had. I worked in their operations department there and ran team facilities. So cleanliness, maintenance, operations, uh, the clubhouses, all that kind of stuff. So all over the place. And it just kind of, I mean, talk about different experience, talk about seeing the game from so many different perspectives. It was, you know, and it was all baseball. Notice I said no other sports. Right, right. Not for lack of trying. I've applied all over the world, uh, you know, not all over the world, but all over the country to different sports. But baseball just always ended up being the one that worked out and, and caught my eye the most. And, and I could see myself really doing because I just happen to love baseball more. And um, to say that I've experienced some crazy fun baseball memories, just being at the organization, you know, being a part of the organization. Somebody just posted on Twitter the other day, like, have you been a part of a, a championship or you had a game? I said, was I at a game? I was on the field and I was in the clubhouse for a championship. <laughs> I got, you know, champagne sprayed on me multiple times because it was one championship with the Bombers and one um, playoff clinching championship with the Blue Crabs. And it's like no one can, very few people can say they've experienced such a thing. And like that is just a, a tip of the iceberg of just being able to be a part of those baseball memories and those baseball experiences that seem like a a fairy tale. They seem like something out of a movie and like I got to do it. So. I'd, I'd love to be in sports somewhere sometime, but it's not a young man's job anymore. Like, or it is young man's job. I'm not a young man anymore. <laughs> I needed something that was going to sustain my family, that I had a better balance. I could, I, I'm, I'm having a kid. You know, there's no, there's no time in baseball, especially baseball, maybe in football, maybe in basketball, but not in the crazy schedule of baseball and not in the, um, you know, it just never afforded me any time to live my own life. So I eventually got out and I'm probably better for it, but I still have a ton of memories. <laughs> I'm so curious to hear because, you know, so AAA, AA, Indie Ball, Major League Baseball, Collegiate Woodbat League. I mean, you've, you've basically touched yeah. all the bases here aside from you every know, level. Yeah, yeah. The, the low A teams, maybe. But yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays, you're talking about uh, the Iowa Cubs. And then you're talking about indie ball teams. And, you know, do you feel like the lower level, either affiliated or unaffiliated, has a deeper connection to the community that they're in than the uh, the top tier MLB clubs? That's that's a really good question, because I think that minor league baseball in general has to have a, a better connection to their community and its partners and its its. Uh, it's organizational, you know, uh, allies, if you will, because, you know, you go to a minor league game, you hear nothing but the advertisements and, and all that stuff. That's because they're they're in business because they have partnerships and contacts and trades and they have this connection that just can't be replicated or done away with. Mm -hmm. You go to the major league level, 
they get all that stuff because they can work with all these big brands and they can work with the local boys and girls and, 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 uh, you know, United Way, all these big sponsors and big community partners, but they don't have to, they're going to still be fine. They're going to put, I mean, gosh, back in the nineties, you could look at a baseball stadium and you can go to Montreal and see a stadium that was empty, had barely any ads and they're still putting on a baseball game. Meanwhile, if you tried to do that in the minors, they'd go under in, in years, not, not very long at all. So the community aspect is huge. And it's actually why I always said I wanted to stay in the minors if I had a choice between the two, because it's just so much more of an intimate connection. Like you see the same people, literally the same fans, you learn their names, you, you, you learn what they're there for. Oh, I like the game. I like the players. I like the organization. I'm a big Orioles fan. So I'm going to keep going to Bowie game. Um, you, you don't just see them as a ticket sold like you might in a major league game. And if they don't show up for five years, you wouldn't even know the difference. If someone doesn't show up at a minor league team game that has been going there for very long, we think something bad happened to them and we're concerned and we call their family. Like we call them because they're on a list somewhere. We have their phone number and we, we reach out. It is the lifeblood of some communities. I wish it was bigger in some communities because they are missing out on the connection they could have with whether they run a business and they want to have like good times or advertising or whatever, or just people not taking full advantage of like getting their kids involved or getting their church involved in the local minor league, usually college, wood bat, indie mm-hmm. ball, they're all the same thing. Right. Um, because it's all affordable and it's all repeatable. And there's, you know, there's something for everybody we always used to think about going to a ball game is this this very specific thing of we you enjoy the game, you're keeping score, you're gonna have a hot dog, you're gonna have a beer. Nowadays you go to a ball game, it's a carnival. There's a baseball game that happens to be going on behind you. I went to the Jersey Shore Blue Claws last uh what was it? June. Never been before. Beautiful place. Recommended. There's an actual Jersey Shore boardwalk of games being played in the outfield, literally yeah. like whack-a-mole and and it's like, you don't even have to know there's a game going on. If you don't care, you can go and do whatever you want with your kids. You can eat whatever you want. You can, I haven't had a drink in eight years. I don't have to go and enjoy. I don't have to worry about, a, a you know, if there's a, oh, is there going to be options for me? Of course there's going to be options. It's the most wonderful experience nowadays for everyone to go to a ball game. And yet so many people don't appreciate that or haven't yet appreciated that. Yeah. I feel like it's a real missed opportunity for some of the the minor league and independent teams. And, you know, I'm happy to say that I feel like in the more recent years, there is more of a trend towards communities understanding what minor league baseball has to offer to them. And, you yeah. know, you, you hit on it before. It's affordable. It's accessible. You know, most eight-year-old kids don't know the difference between Corey Seager and the guy who plays shortstop for the Frisco Rough Riders. But the guy right. who plays at Double A in Frisco is going to be a lot more willing to come over and say hello. So, yes, and and I think that the community recognizes that the club needs them to be there, and I think that the club recognizes obviously that the community is better off and enjoys them being there, and the relationship is just so much more, as you mentioned, like familiar, right? Um, yes, less corporate-y, less stuffy, less like let's sign stuff and and get get things just done and out of the way. Yeah, so I'm I'm I feel like maybe more and more recently here that there's been a little bit of a shift towards the minor leagues and I'm I'm here for it. Like I love it. I wish there were yeah. more of it. Yeah. 
I'm, I mean, having worked primarily in the minors, it is my greater interest. Yes, of course I can, I, I will watch every major league, you know, raise game that I can and, and I will watch playoff games and I will root, play fantasy baseball. But like, if it comes, comes down to it, I'm reading more about a minor league. I'm reading, I'm on ballpark digest reading more about minor leagues mm-hmm. than major leagues. So like I'm reading, you know, that's my interest. I'm reading indie ball Twitter accounts, learning about what's going on more than what's going on with the MVP chase in the NL. Like it's to me, the minor league stuff has just so much more. Uh, it's just so much more to, of course, comes from a place of my business sports management background. Like this team's going to do a rebrand. I want to learn about the options. I want to be in the contest. I want to buy the merchandise when it comes out. No major league teams out there doing a rebrand. Like that's not something you can like enjoy and take advantage of, uh, but that you like you can in the minors and new teams and relocating teams. Of course, the Las Vegas A's would have something else to say about that. But (laughs) all of the, you know, all that fun that comes with minor league teams, even if it's like just new newness is is always something and those those teams are never more valuable to their community than when they first get there of course or maybe when they rebrand but when that that newness is there like i've seen it it is people flock and you know it's hopefully creating those positive memories that they say hey this wasn't an ex or this wasn't expensive and this wasn't you know of course we're having a good time the kid liked it mom liked it the parking wasn't bad, blah, blah, blah. And before long, they're like, you know, we should go back later this year. We should go back next year. Next time the kids got a, you know, a summer camp thing or a, a Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah, we should suggest they go to the ballpark. And that's what these teams are always hoping is the the thing they're instilling in people. Now, of course, does that always work? Not always. I've been there on both sides. But it's invaluable that they do so because it's going to keep them around and it's going to keep them viable keep them from moving and it's going to keep that it's going to get them that ballpark that needs to be built by the city miners is just fascinating to me major you know indie and, and summer ball there there there's never a dull moment that's yeah. really the best way to put it yeah definitely so definitely so so you've been i mean you've been kind of everywhere in terms of working within the baseball sphere you're a fan of the rays i know but do you travel for baseball outside of you know just um your your former jobs and maybe some minor league interests? Yes and no. I in going back over my bucket list and going back over here's here's how my bucket list looks. Zero things that I've said I need to have to do before I die. A hundred things that I have done that I'm trying to chronicle. <laughs> yeah. And that's been so fun on the website, by the way. Because it's this game of what year was that? Who was in that game? Oh my gosh. If it was that guy, then it's between this year and this year. I've thankfully been able to go to a lot of games relative to the average person, mostly just because I married a woman that is just as much uh, interested in going to the casual game as, as one could hope. You know, she's not a super fan. She's not out there watching games like me, but like, Hey, we've got a weekend to kill and we're in a new city. Let's see if the home team's in town. We got, I went to a Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs game because I happened to be in Allentown because we were in uh, there for a wedding. Hey, look, let's see. They're in town. Okay, let's pick up tickets. Boom. You know, or like uh, Jersey Shore. My wife says, hey, I want to go to the beach. I go, okay, I don't really like the beach, <laughs> but let's go to the Jersey Shore area. We can go to the Blue Claws game one day, the beach the other day. And boom, I, I, we agreed. So um, 
things like that. Now in a new area, I've only been in Philly about half a year. So I've been able to go to, I went to a Reading fight and Phil's game and the blue claws. And, um, I've already seen that next year, the rays are in both Philly and Pittsburgh. So that might happen. But most of my traveling happened when I was younger, unless, you know, tethered down by schedules. In 2008, I was very single, apparently, because I was listening to a minor league radio broadcast of the Montgomery, Alabama Biscuits. And I answered a trivia question correctly that was like, who were the two people to walk off a World Series with a world with a home run? And it was Mazeroski and, and Hank Aaron. And the guys, the announcer's name was Jim Toko. He's out of baseball now, I think. He said, you know, it was like the winner gets two tickets to a Biscuits game for the rest of the year. You know, you pick up, you know, just pop by the box office. And I email back. I'm like, thanks so much. But I'm in Michigan. Like, that's great. But I just happy to play. And he goes, well, keep in mind, there's tickets waiting for you. Gears start ticking in my head. And I realized that there is one main highway that goes from Michigan to the Gulf of Mexico. And <laughs> it's literally goes all the way down and back through many minor league markets. So I formulate the plan. My buddy and I are going to drive to Montgomery, Alabama. We're going to watch a game. The next day we go to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, watch a game. The next day we go to Huntsville, Alabama, RIP, go uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas. Yeah. We go to Huntsville, we watch a game. Next day we go to Nashville, Greer Stadium, RIP, watch a game. The next day we go to Louisville, go to uh, Louisville Bat Stadium, watch a game. Next day, day game, Indianapolis, night game, Dayton, Ohio, catch them both. And then the next day is day game, Kids Day, Fort Wayne, Indiana, the old Fort Wayne Wizards at Memorial Stadium, also RIP, yep. home for dinner. Eight games in seven days. We slept in our car. We ate at Sonic's. We would frequent the local Dick's Sporting Goods. Not really sure why, because what are you going to do after you've seen one Dick's Sporting Goods? <laughs> and we, um, we would like go to truck stops to like get cleaned up. It was the most bachelor thing I could ever do. And it was amazing. And it was like, I still remember it to this day, all the different experiences we went to and all the games. And of course, uh, the teams are all, you know, all over the place. Minor league or double A, triple A, single A. Some are re really big brands. Some are just whatever. Amazing. Of course, I got a hat everywhere I went and got to see several stadiums that don't exist anymore. And it was just, you know, the kind of the start of something that I wanted to continue to do. Well, of course, that doesn't happen in most people's lives. I kept, I'll do it again and again. Never happened. Well, then my wife and I get married and uh, she goes, what do you want to do for a honeymoon? I'm like, I don't know. Not really a trip guy. And she's like, yeah, neither am I. Do you want to go to baseball? You want to do a road trip? And I'm like, oh my heavens, <laughs> who are you? I love you. What are, what, where have you come from? What cloud did you float down on? So we got married in Western Michigan, Southern and Southwestern Michigan. So then our honeymoon consisted of Kalamazoo, Growlers. Then the next day we went to, uh, God, did we go all the way to normal Illinois? And so the normal corn belters on Father's Day night. The next day we were in Waterloo, Iowa for the Waterloo Bucks of the uh, Northwoods League. We saw an inning and a half before a tornado stopped the game. Uh, the next day we went to, uh, we got to Des Moines and we saw my Iowa Cubs. 
I missed Chris Bryant during his rookie arise to the mm-hmm. through the minors by like one day. Mm. But I did see Javi Baez, who went like three for five with a bomb. So that was cool. And then the next day we go, we're heading back. So now I go to uh, Quad Cities and see the River Bandits. And then the next day we went to Wrigley and sat in the bleachers the year before they redid all the bleachers. So I got to say I've seen the original bleachers. And then the next day we were supposed to see the Kane County Cougars, but that got rained out too. And that was the end of the trip. But like, again, the the memories that I have from that trip because of baseball were nothing I would have gotten sitting at some resort in some coast, you know, some tropical place. And I got to spend it with the one person I would, would want to spend it with my wife and like baseball did it. Baseball brought us to those places and saw yeah. those cities and helped their community and all that good stuff. Yeah. Sounds like you got a good one then there uh, to <laughs> willing yes. to to give up the honeymoon for baseball is that's pretty special. Oh, my it's, gosh. It's really it, was, cool. it was her idea. I couldn't argue with that. Yeah, that's the best. What comes to mind if I ask you what your favorite baseball memory is? So either. Oh, gosh. Favorite memory. I mean, on the surface, I say. It's the 2016 Cubs winning the series. I had not been a Cubs fan for some time. Like, I, they hadn't been particularly good. I had been not paying that close attention to them. And I then gone to the Rays in 2015. So, like, I kind of took over them. They kind of, I, I kept saying to my friends, like, I worked there. I saw these guys. I saw their minor leaguers. And I'm like, how can I not, like, keep up with them they mm-hmm. became like co-workers of mine so i felt like it was this kind of connection and of course the cubs were just kind of eh for a few years there and so i was like 2016 that run and then that game game seven there's a rain delay the homer by rajai davis hits the homer off chapman and it, it's and it's just it, i'm on the edge literally the edge of my bed there's a picture somewhere i'm wearing a cubs hat i bought a cubs world series hat because I knew the value of a Cubs World Series anything. <laughs> Who knows the next time right. you get one of those. Right. So I'm wearing my Cubs World Series hat and I'm on the edge of the bed. Just And I'm that person that's like this, you know, watching a game in the closing moments, watching a football game, watching a bit. I'm just like eh, fingers crossed and hands and knees just rocking. And that that final moment across the diamond to Rizzo, like that was insane so insane and i wasn't even a fan at that point yeah. let alone someone who was like a 80 year old chicago win <laughs> going to games <laughs> since they were a child um so that was really really up there and then i selfishly when the rays went to the 2020 world series and they played uh the dodgers the walk off in game four with brett phillips airplane around the infield crazy run around the bases by a Rosarina and sliding and tumbling and the the emotions that go through your brain when you watch the team you think is going to lose the game suddenly get the magical hit and then suddenly you watch the chance of that like if the the stat cast could watch the projections there he trips and it goes down we're going to lose and then he gets up somehow and they they bobbled the ball and the feel I will never forget I see a clip of that maybe a month ago, less than a month ago, someone posted the whole inning on Twitter mm-hmm. or the whole half inning, I guess the, the race half. And I was like, I, this is amazing. I, I watched every pitch, even guys that, you know, I forgot even played in that game. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yoshi Setsugo, let's go. 
and it just brings back such, uh, you know, it, it made me smile from ear to ear. Those two, those two, um, for every every reason, and, and maybe more. It was just, I'm sure there's other ones that I was personally involved with, but like just as a fan. Yeah. So the 2016 World Series, I I watch the World Series every year, obviously, regardless of who's in it, and I always go in, you know thinking I have a team favored, or maybe I don't. And uh, man, that year, I got so hyper fixated on games involving two teams that I cared almost none about, right? Obviously, Joe <laughs> Madden at the helm for the Cubs, and yeah. uh, our boy Ben Zobrist on, yeah. on the team as well. So you wanted, I wanted the Cubs to win. But the trauma and the baggage saddling these Chicago Cubs fans for you know, essentially over a lifetime to recognize all of that as it's unfolding and changing and watching the sheer elation of the the folks who got to be there and witness that. And then just recognizing that all across the country, all across the world, there are Cubs fans who are just feeling emotions they maybe never thought they were going to get a chance to feel. Yeah. Um, it's just I mean, it was so it was so incredible to to kind of witness that and recognize the importance of it. On a level that, you know, wasn't really felt since, you know, maybe the 04 Red Sox, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And then I yeah. was at game three of the 2020 World Series. Uh, I got to pick any game I wanted to go to. I picked game three. I thought that was going to be the right choice. My dad flew in. We got to go together. Of course, Morton got lit up that night. Um <laughs> And then we're sitting on the couch the next night at a game that I could have easily, just as easily had said, <laughs> hey, dad, let's do game four and uh, yeah. watching all that unfold. But you're right. The, the emotions are just a roller coaster. I'm jumping up off the couch, windmill, you know, windmilling Randy or Rosarena yeah. around third base and just uh, you don't know what's happened. You're like, he should be sliding home, but he's not even in the frame. And then you're like, oh, my God, he right. fell down. But then. The right fielder bobbles the ball, and then Will Smith can't collect it and goes to swipe. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. You, your brain can't comprehend what's happening in that moment, and to listen to Joe Buck yeah. call that and somehow manage to string together a cognitive sentence about what's actually happening, I'll never understand how he did that because I don't think anybody oh, yeah. in that building had any clue what was going on. Yeah, and I think the part that makes it all the more sweet for me is a learning as a race fan, just how cool Brett Phillips is. Right. And knowing that's, that's the moment he'll have. He's just not that particularly good, but that that's going to be something he has for the rest of his life and his children and his children's children. And that is amazing. Like there's been heroes in postseason and in sports history, just like him yeah. who will never be like, he's Bucky Dent and, and, and every one of these, like, uh, you know, guys that had that one game or that one season and like to, for, I mean, of course the team had plenty of hitters. It could have been anybody, but like, remember he gets brought in as a, you know, defensive replacement or a pinch runner. I forget. And so he's not even supposed to get that back. They didn't want him to be up there at that point. Right. And it's like, and even I, as a fan, I'm thinking, well, here we go. Brett Phillips. Oh, you know, 180 batting average up here. Here we go. You know, another strikeout for this 2020 Rays World Series. And like, it's a solid single. Mm -hmm. And it's it just, I mean, Jansen was dealing and there's, you know, you're not going to get a lot of hits off him in general. And I'm just, I mean, it couldn't, it wouldn't have been any better if it had been the best hitter on the team because it was still memorable, but like it just looking back 
feels so much even better because you know that guy is just a genuine dude who just plays baseball, has a good time, smile on his face, good to kids. Like, oh, it's it's hard to not love it. Yeah, those those are the guys you want to do well. So when they do, when they step up in a big way, and and like you said, that's something he'll remember for the rest of his life. And you know, as yeah. as we will too. So just what an incredible moment. I only wish it had been the turning point for the Rays that we thought it was that night. Um, but who yeah. knows? You know, who knows? Maybe we won't be waiting a hundred years. So we'll we'll just right. have to see. What's left to check off on the baseball bucket list? Like, what's that that top one thing you got to do, place you got to go, person you want to meet? The bucket list is really weird because, like I said, it's I've done so much in the industry that there's there's things that I'll have I've done that other people would only wish to do and only dream to do. I mean, I've played basketball on center court at the now Capital One Arena in D.C. in a mascot costume on, you know, I've I've been on Sports Center, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Fallon, you know, uh, in a mascot costume. So it's like the fact that there is still something out there that I wish to do is hard to come by. I think the biggest thing is places. I again, I don't travel a lot, but like there's so many wonderful organizations and so many well-made ballparks, great communities that I just never lived nearby and it's just always been a pipe dream. Uh, I mean, I mentioned the Rays are going to be in Pittsburgh next year. I've never gotten a chance to go to PNC. And it's like, everybody talks how well it and how good a place it is. And I'm like, even if it's just, I mean, it's four and a half hours one way. I'm like, man, I might as well fly at that point. Like, but I should go. Like, uh, it's just really, uh, you know, I don't know when's the next time the team might be there. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to like other minor league games, like I, uh, you know, I love to go. I know I've listened to uh, another interview and, you know, brought up like Durham. And so like, that's just, it's Durham. Like they're, it's the, you know, the heart of baseball country. It feels like it's North Carolina. And, um, I, I always joke that I want to go to a, like, go to Ray's opening day just travel down to Tampa St. Pete for a random game. But it's like, man, that's a real excursion. So I think I'll save that one for when they actually get a stadium. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then that'll be, uh, that'll be on the list by proxy is get to the new stadium. I mean, I, I could easily say, Oh yeah, I'd love to go all the major league stadiums. But even then, like, I'm not too worried about going to Anaheim, you know, seeing, seeing some of the old stadiums. It just, it, I, it's never been my big cup of tea to see everything just to see everything. Yeah. But like the beautiful newer ones, they all just look so wonderful. And, you know, my frames of reference are not that great because I spent a lot of time at the drop. So it's like that's not the greatest frame of reference. No, I mean, in my case, it's it'll be more I hate to get, you know, uh, emotional, but it'd be more like bringing up my family as part of watching baseball, getting my kid to, you know, go to games when they're old enough to appreciate it again, you know, like I did and, you know, getting them into the local team's kids club and, you know watching games and being able to like hey you know what are you seeing and what are you what are you did you see that and like not just again not just going to distract the child but actually trying to get them to watch because i have a feeling that between my wife and i their dna is gonna lend itself to wanting to actually watch the game like that's my biggest bucket list item is really like being able to go see games with my well be my my daughter and um you know the ability to you know expand some of my uh where I've been and where I haven't been yet with her and my family. And, you know, from there it's, it's all great because everything I've done has all been just like, 
on top, uh, above and beyond, like nothing I could have ever imagined when it comes to some of the places I've been able to get to in my little world and, you know, some of the experiences I've had on a baseball field. That's awesome. It's meaningful to identify the places that are appealing to you and try to get to those ones that are going to matter more than just checking off the boxes along the way. So um, especially if you can if you can take the fam with you, because that just makes it 10 times better and, you know, than it would be as a bachelor rolling through truck yeah. stops with your buddy. So, <laughs> Right, right, right. Where do people go if they want to follow along with you online? Do you, do you want to send them to social or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I've been on Twitter slash X for a long, long time. And I am at the Lillis, L-I-L-L-I-S-T-H-E-L-I-L-L-I-S, just one word. Um, I have recently been more active on Instagram and threads, uh, and that is hat underscore hoard because I have over 430 fitted hats at home. Good grief. <laughs> mostly minor. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. There's always minor league hats. That's I've got right. a Cervasis hat like you're wearing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, what did they change it to this year? Oh, they changed the color slightly. Guess I got to buy another hat. <laughs> They've got me hook, line and sinker. Uh, and I'm big on LinkedIn because the industry is still a big community of people who should know each other and who should learn from each other. So I am, I think, Timothy Lillis. I, I don't know. There are other people that have my name. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd love people to connect with me about uh, the industry. I've done a lot of like informative stuff with uh, young people getting started, leaving school, trying to get internships, that kind of thing, okay. trying to learn about the industry and what they want to accomplish and how to get in and that kind of thing, because I still can be pretty helpful. Not that I know a bunch of people, but I can like give them advice. So probably the three, three or four of those. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, I've had a blast talking with you. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for making time to do this. I know it's a crazy hectic time in your life and, you know, (laughs) um, just super, super grateful that you, that you put us on the schedule. So can't wait to follow along and you know um a couple of years from now i'm sure i'll be seeing you take your your baby girl to her first ball game oh uh, yeah probably sooner she just won't know it yet yeah exactly she'll just be a little ball of <laughs> ball of sleep and poop and then eventually <laughs> she'll know what she's doing and she'll have a good time yeah awesome thanks for joining us thanks for having me and that will wrap up this episode of the baseball bucket list podcast special thanks to tim lillis for joining us today and sharing those stories and memories If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. I would absolutely love to hear from you. While you're there, make sure to spend some time on the site, sign up for a free membership, build your own baseball bucket list, track your ballpark visits, and connect with other fans like yourself. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.